Well, I started this series last week talking about uh, some features of air travel, right? We, we talked about layovers and what that means. Today, I want to stick with that theme a little bit uh, and talk about being rerouted. You know, I, I trust that many of us, maybe all of us, have had the opportunity at some point to fly on an airplane, but I also would guess that not many of us have ever had the experience of being rerouted in your travel plans. It happened to one of my kids as they were flying where bad weather in Chicago meant the plane had to land and stop somewhere else, and so the plane lands in Des Moines, Iowa, and there they sit in Des Moines waiting for weather to clear so that they can go again. Rerouted to a place you did not expect to be, a different direction, a direction that you didn't plan on, a direction that you had no say in whatsoever, but you're along for the ride and you go there anyway. Today we're going to consider how that rerouted kind of journey, that unplanned direction, takes place We see it in the life of Jesus through the Christmas story, but like last week, we're also going to see how it connects to the experience of God's people in Old Testament Israel and also then shares a connection to some of our experience in our world yet today. So I'm going to read a few passages, first of all, coming from the Old Testament. Both of these are from the book of Numbers, and you'll see where these connect later on as we get through this. Numbers, and this is taken from when the people of Israel, they they come out of slavery, come out of Egypt, they they go to Mount Sinai, they receive the law of God, they, they build the tabernacle, they go across the desert, they're at the border of the promised land, at the border of Canaan. They send spies in to scope the land. The spies come back and they say, nope, we're not doing this. We're, we can't handle this one. Here's what God responds then. First from Numbers 14, I'm beginning at verse 29. In the wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who has counted in the census and was grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them into enjoy the land you have rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in the wilderness. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness. For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, You will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. That takes place in Numbers 14. Fast forward 40 years later. Now a new generation stands at the border from Numbers 32. And God reminds them what these last 40 years have meant. So, Numbers 32, beginning at verse 8. This is what your fathers did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to look over the land. After they went up to the valley of Eshkol and viewed the land, they discouraged the Israelites from entering the land the Lord had given them. The Lord's anger was aroused that day, and he swore this oath, because they have not followed me wholeheartedly, 
Not one of those who were 20 years old or more when they came out of Egypt will see the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not one except Caleb, son of Jethuna, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, son of Nun. For they followed the Lord wholeheartedly. The Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until the whole generation of those who had done evil in his sight was gone. A few stories from the Old Testament of God's people. Now then, fast forward to the New Testament. A story then early on in the life of Jesus. Before he begins all the details of his earthly ministry, this one takes place. Here, here's the setting here in Matthew 4 where I'm going to read this, that Jesus has just been baptized, right? The, that he has gone up to see John the Baptist and goes into the Jordan River, is baptized by John the Baptist. There's a scene there where you see the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the voice of the Father calling from heaven, this is my Son whom I love, the Spirit descending as a dove, upon Jesus, they're being baptized. This, this moment where Jesus is now prepared for the ministry that God has sent him to do, that the Father has sent him to do. And the very next thing Jesus does is wanders out in the desert. So here, Matthew 4, the first 11 verses, says this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to me, to, Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A rerouted journey. A destination that was not planned on, a direction that they did not want to go, and it felt like there was nothing they could do to stop it, nothing they could do to change it. So that's, that's the story that runs into this with Old Testament Israel, leading into this story that we see in the New Testament. That Jesus, at the beginning of his, of his earthly ministry, is rerouted. Did you notice that right away in verse 1? The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. That the Spirit is the one who reroutes Jesus. I mean, he's ready. Jesus is ready. 
We saw that in the baptism scene that goes with Jesus there where the Father speaks of his love and the Son descends as the Spirit. And, and, all right, I read those first 11 verses out of Matthew 4. If you were to keep reading like the rest of the chapter of Matthew 4, you see all the things there. He calls his disciples. He heals people and performs miracles. He teaches them. By the time you get to Matthew 5, it's that Sermon on the Mount piece, right? Parables and stories and teachings. Jesus does all of that, and, it, and Matthew gets right to it after this odd scene of all right, not going to the people, not calling disciples, not teaching, not performing miracles, but Jesus by himself alone, wandering in the wilderness 40 days. That comes first, that Jesus goes and does that. Why would he do that? Right? Why does that take place that way in the Gospels? That Jesus would go out in the wilderness 40 days when he's all set to go. He's all set to begin his earthly ministry. You see, I think if you, if you see that story in the Gospels apart by itself, it doesn't make much sense, does it? I wonder why he even has to do that. But when we see it up against those other Old Testament passages, maybe there's a connection that starts to take place here now. Maybe there's a few connections that we can see between what Jesus is doing here and what God's people had done in the past. That Jesus is leaning into, pressing into, living into the experiences of his people. After all, he became incarnate on earth to live as one of us. So living as one of us means He takes on all the experiences that we have as we live in this world. That seems to be what Jesus is up to in this. But let's explore how that works, all right? And and why that's something that he goes and he does there. He's in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. That's sort of one of those clues right there, the the connecting trigger, right? 40 days and 40 nights. Where, Where have I seen something that goes by a number 40 before and... It's the 40 years that Israel wandered in the desert. His 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness echoes or mirrors the 40 years of Israel in the wilderness. 40 is one of those numbers that carries symbolism in the Bible, right? And I mean, I suppose it also carries a numeric value. It's one more than 39 and one less than 41, but, but that's not the point, at least not in the Bible. It's not about a numerical value. 40 means something else. When you see 40 in the Bible, often that is a marker for a length of time in which God accomplishes his purpose. Think about how that works through, all right? Here's a few examples. When Noah gathered all the animals and went into the ark, God sent rain for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, whether it actually rained for literally 40 days and 40 nights, I don't know, and I will tell you, it doesn't matter. What matters is, because of the number 40, it rained long enough for God to accomplish his purpose for sending the rain. That's what the number 40 means, right? You see that in other ways, too. Moses was born in Egypt at a time when Pharaoh had decreed that all the babies should be thrown into the Nile and killed, but Moses is spared from that. He's drawn out of the water, and he goes to live in the Pharaoh's palace as part of the Pharaoh's family. How long does he live in Egypt as part of Pharaoh's family? Forty years. 
In other words, he stays living in Egypt long enough for God to accomplish the purpose for him being born and raised in the Pharaoh's household in Egypt. At that point, when Moses is 40 years old, something occurs to where he becomes a wanted man and he has to run for his life, right? Moses flees Egypt, he goes to the wilderness, he meets a family, he gets married, and he ends up being a shepherd and tending the sheep of his father-in-law, Jethro. And he does that, how long? Yeah, 40 years until the burning bush incident occurs. In other words, Moses is out tending sheep in the Sinai wilderness long enough for God to accomplish his purpose for Moses being there, learning this wilderness climate and landscape. Then the burning bush and Moses comes back, and the events of the Exodus that I trust many of you have heard or know about, right? The, the ten plagues and the people cross the Red Sea and they go to Mount Sinai. The Ten Commandments come. They get the instructions for how to build this tabernacle. They do all of that. They run over across the desert. They're ready to enter the land of Canaan. And then that first passage that we looked at from Numbers. The spies go in, they see there, and they say, Hold up. I don't think we can trust God to do this one for us after everything God had done for them to show his provision, at that point they say, hmm, I don't know that we can trust this one. Now another 40 comes in play, right? All right, you're going to go and you're going to spend 40 years in this wilderness now. 40 years so that a couple of things can happen. First of all, all the generation of those who came out of Egypt pass away except two people. And a new generation comes up to take their place. Those two things are happening in the wilderness. They're happening in the wilderness there so that Israel can learn reliance on God. That God keeps Israel in the wilderness long enough to accomplish the purpose he has for his people to be there. Because that's what number 40 means, right? They are in the wilderness long enough for God to accomplish the purpose he has for them to be in the wilderness. Are you starting to see some of the connections here now then? Jesus goes out into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights and he's fasting and he's being tempted by the devil there that he is in that place long enough to accomplish the purpose that he has for being there. A purpose being in the wilderness to share that experience that way. A purpose that connects him to Old Testament Israel wandering in the wilderness. But even further than that, right? Even beyond that. That the experience of Old Testament Israel in the wilderness showed, well, their failure. Because that whole generation had to die. That they did not do what God had called them to do. They did not trust the provision of the Father the way that he had provided and showed himself to be faithful to them over and over again. They got it wrong. They had to go back into the wilderness to learn that again. To learn that. That's what the wilderness is about, right? The wilderness is this really, really desolate place. A place where you cannot find provisions on your own. 
a place where you don't know how you're going to survive because you don't know where the provisions that you will need for survival are going to come from. That's what the wilderness is about. The wilderness experience then was to teach them that the Heavenly Father provides. Even in those places where they look and think around them, there is no provision. There is no way I can survive here. That's what the wilderness was about for them. We maybe have a hard time connecting with that in our world, the way we live today, because we don't know what it's really like to be in a place where we are deprived of everything that we need to be able to survive, to be in a wilderness like that. I don't know how that would work in our world, to be in that sort of a wilderness where all of a sudden I realize I've got no cell phone signal, and there's no Wi-Fi here, and there's no grocery stores, and all, there's no exits from the highway, and the gas stations are all closed, and how am I going to make it? It's pretty much like Iowa, I think, right? <laughs> At least if you get like a mile off the interstate, you think, I am in the middle of nowhere, how does anyone even survive here? That's the kind of wilderness that they were in. How does anyone survive here? There's nothing to provide for us. God sends his people into the wilderness to learn reliance upon the Heavenly Father. It's the purpose that he has. The purpose for the wilderness is to learn that. What we see in the story of Israel then is that they get it wrong. They don't learn that lesson, right? And by extension, that's us too. We get it wrong. You know, that wilderness failure for Israel became part of their story, part of their life experience. And you see it moving forward, right? And and the experience of the time of Israel during the time of the judges, when they keep going back and forth and they fall into sin and they get it wrong. They forget to rely upon the Father for their provisions. Moving forward into the time of the kings when they have both good kings and evil kings and the back and forth, they go with that and they get it wrong. They forget to rely upon the heavenly father. Times of exile, the Assyrian exile and the Babylonian exile, those times in Israel's history where they're reminded, they get it wrong. They forget to rely upon the provisions of their heavenly father. You see, that story of Old Testament Israel in the wilderness became their story all the way throughout, right? It was sort of that wandering experience in the wilderness for Old Testament Israel became symbolic for all of their wanderings in some way. That when Israel was rerouted in a direction that they did not choose and they did not want, that that sort of became the symbol for all of those times in their history when they were rerouted on a direction that they did not choose and they did not want. I think we know a little something about that, yeah? We know a little something about what it means to live in a world where sometimes we get pushed in directions that we didn't choose and we don't want. We know something about that, and I think for every one of us, too, we, we know and we see something of the reaction because we resist, right? I mean, I, it seems a little bit natural that I didn't want this direction. I'm going to resist and push back against it. But there's a purpose 
a purpose that God has for wilderness, to teach reliance upon the Heavenly Father. And maybe today we see another purpose, another purpose that comes through this story of Jesus in the New Testament in Matthew 4. You see, because all of those places in the Old Testament where you see Israel again and again and again, that they get it wrong, that they fail in the wilderness, then you get to this story in the New Testament where Jesus makes it right. Where everyone else has failed, Jesus makes it right. He does what nobody else before has been able to do. He does what all of us who come after and are born into a world of sin have always failed to do. Jesus does it right. Look at how that works in that wilderness temptation scene from Jesus. Yeah, what are those temptations really about, okay? Look at what happens there. First of all, a tempter comes and he says, you know what, you're hungry, I know. You can turn these breads into stone. Or in other words, Jesus, you can use your divine power, your divine power to provide for yourself. Catch that? Jesus, you can use your divine power, use your ingenuity, use your power, use what you have to provide for yourself. But Jesus knew. He knew, I'm in the wilderness. The wilderness is a place where I learn reliance upon my heavenly Father. So he says, no. This is not about me providing for myself. That is not about me relying on myself. This is about relying upon the provision of my heavenly Father. He resists. The next scene, Jesus is taken to the temple, right? I mean, crowded place in Jerusalem. Go ahead, throw yourself down because you know the angels are going to come and rescue you. In other words, show these people a display of your power. Let everyone here see this happen. Because you know if they do, they're going to be filled with awe and say, this guy has all the power in the world. Look at that. He can jump off buildings and angels come and catch him. Use your power to show your power to all these people here. And Jesus says, no. No. The wilderness is not about me being powerful. It's about relying on the Father to provide, where I am in a place of weakness, where I'm in a place of emptiness. He resists. Third one, then, there's this scene of a high mountain. He can see the whole world from there, right? And the tempter says, you know what? You just submit to me, and I'll let you have all this. You can have it all. You take the shortcut, so take the easy way, And I'll let you have all this, but you're going to be one step under me to do that. And Jesus says, no, this is not about relying on the tempter or the devil or Satan. It's not about relying on anyone else to give me what I want or what I need, but it's relying on the Father to provide those things. You see what's happening in the temptations that they take place there in the wilderness, that for every single one of those things, they're they're symbolic of the ways in which Jesus demonstrates over and over that he will rely upon his heavenly Father to provide in all those places where 
Israel and us have failed. That we've forgotten to rely on the Father. That we have maybe even sometimes intentionally turned our back and said, no thanks to the Father. I'll take care of it myself. I'll provide for myself. I'll take care of my own life. I will find my own direction. No one's rerouting me. I'm going to make my journey happen the way I want to. No one's telling me where to go, how to live, how to do things. You see, the lesson of the wilderness shows us that Jesus gets it right where we get it wrong. So that comes around to us at this time. During this Christmas season, I'm bringing that story up again because it it strikes me. It strikes me as, you know, we're in that time of year where all the Christmas movies are on TV, all those Christmas specials that take place, and it strikes me how they all have the exact same theme. It's not just that they're all about Christmas, right? They all have the exact same theme. They're all, every single one of them, okay? They are all about someone who's rerouted. Yeah? Someone whose life goes in a direction that they did not choose and they did not want. And somehow, they have to find a way out of that. Every single one of them. Uh, flipping channels last night. See that really, really old classic movie, uh, A Wonderful Life, right? George Bailey thinks that he has got it the worst of all the other people in the town of Bedford Falls, right? That everyone else has it all together. His life is in a complete mess and the wrong direction. He doesn't want it. He doesn't know any other way to get out of it, right? A wilderness experience for him, rerouted in the wrong direction. Kevin McAllister, little kid who gets left home alone, right? He thinks his life is the worst because he's the youngest in the family. Everything comes down and dumps on him. So he wishes they would all just go away. He thinks he has it the worst, and then he's rerouted in that, okay? A little reindeer with a glowing red nose thinks that he doesn't fit. He doesn't belong. So he runs away, right? I... I, I don't fit in with the rest of this team here, so my life is in a different direction, the wrong direction. A direction I didn't want, a direction I didn't choose, but there I go, in that direction. Don't forget Charlie Brown, right? Charlie Brown picks out the worst Christmas tree ever and thinks, I've ruined everyone's Christmas. They all have these expectations of what Christmas is supposed to be, and I can't do that. I can't deliver on that. It doesn't happen. I don't care. Pick your Christmas movie. Pick your Christmas story. Every one of them has the same theme. Somebody's rerouted in a direction they didn't want, didn't choose, and has to try to find a way out of it. Why? Why is every single Christmas story, every Christmas movie, every Christmas TV special, why do they all have that theme? Could it be because that story resonates with us? Yeah? That we see a story or a movie like that and we think, yeah, I feel like that too sometimes. My life goes that way too every now and then. 
I, I'm pushed in a, a direction that I didn't want and I didn't choose. And we see stories like that because they resonate with our own lives in some way. Here's where it's different, though, because in all the Christmas movies and in all the Christmas stories that somehow they find their way back to Christmas, right? Somehow by the end of the show, by the end of the movie, they find their way back to the joy of Christmas and and it all comes back together again. And that's how they all end. This is where the story of Jesus in the Bible is a little bit different. Because it's not about you finding your way out of that wilderness direction. No. Christmas is about Jesus finding his way into your wilderness direction. Not about you finding your way out, but about Jesus finding his way in. Not just superficially, I mean really into our lives in a way that shows he shares our experiences. He knows what our struggles are because he struggled with them too. He knows what our feelings are because he's felt those things too. That Jesus comes in ways that come right into our lives in our desert wilderness experiences. And he comes into our lives in ways that then assure us, assure us that he says, I'm right here with you. I've got you. I'm holding on to you. I'm never letting you go. That's what Jesus shows us in the wilderness of our lives together. That he is there with us and never lets go. Let's pray together. God, thank you for showing us again that, yep, in all those ways that we've tried to provide for ourselves, that we've tried to get our own direction out of our own wildernesses, that in every single one of those, you come back around and you remind us again that it's not about us finding our way out because you have found your way in. So, Lord, may we again see that lesson, confess the ways that we have failed, And then rejoice in the ways that you have made it right. The way that you come alongside of us. The way that our lives now then are tied eternally to yours. So that we may be people who forever will declare that you are our God, our Savior. Thank you for that. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.